Hi, this is David Lovering. I'm a scientific phenomenalist and I'm also a drummer for the Pixies. And you're listening to the Grox Science Show. Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, David Lovering joins us to discuss the scientific phenomenalist. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, today's show is yet another illustration of why this is the most amazing radio show on the face of the planet. How many other shows can you go to turn for the wisdom of Nobel laureates as well as from the minds of rock legends? I was having a conversation with our guest host today, Elise Kovic, about how certain scientists should be viewed socially in the same light as rock stars. Well, this just got us to thinking, are there any rock stars out there that would actually want to be seen as scientists? It just so happens that there is at least one out there, David Lovering, and he's probably best known as the drummer for one of the most influential bands in rock history, the Pixies. So when David is not on the road with the Pixies, he's often on the road touring as the scientific phenomenalist. And I think that he's the best person to explain what exactly a scientific phenomenalist is. So hi, David. Welcome to the Croc Science Show. It's Elise. Hi, Elise. Hi. Hello, Charles. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Would you be a doll and tell us what a scientific phenomenalist is? I came up with that moniker, I was trying to think of just a moniker for me uh, to describe, you know, just going as scientific phenomenalist David Lovering. And that's just what I came up with, something I, I don't think phenomenalist is a really actually a real word, but it's something I made up. And because hopefully the show is phenomenal, it's, it gives a sense of wonder and things like that. When the show involves all my love of science and magic combined, I figure you know, that's the best thing for my character because those are the two things that I love. And to combine them, yeah, what better thing, you know, a scientific yeah, magic show. So, scientific phenomenalist David Lovering, that's it. And so you've had a chance to tour with this a couple of times. Yeah, I've done shows, even opening for the Pixies twice, my own band. I've opened up for other rock bands like uh, Cracker, uh, The Breeders, uh, Grantley Buffalo, uh, Grantley Phillips, actually. And I do shows at the Magic Castle all the time, as well as theater shows around L.A. and other you know, shows that I've done around the States and stuff like that, as well as traveled to England to do all tomorrow's parties with my scientific phenomenal as well. So yeah, yeah, nice ride so far doing those things. So most people are surprised to learn that you're a musician with some hardcore scientific training. <laughs> would, would you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, basically, since I was a kid, I was always interested in electronics. And I think it was because when I was about eight or nine years old, my grandmother, who worked at Raytheon at the time, bought me a thing called Electron Set, L-E-C-T-R-O-N. And what it is, is a sheet of uh, steel, pretty much the size of a computer or laptop, that size of a sheet. Mm -hmm. And you get these little blocks that had magnets on the bottom that would attach to the, the sheet. 
And on the top of them was a component, a schematic of a component, whether it be a diode, a resistor, a capacitor, a transistor, a light, a buzzer, things like that. And you'd get a book along with it, and there'd be schematics showing all the blocks connected. So all you do, do is put them on the, the, the sheet of metal, and they connect together because there's contacts on the side of these blocks that will make the circuit. And that was my first experience with electronics, and um, I built tons of things from the book. I loved it. And then from then on, I took apart everything in the house, electronic, you know, figuring out how it worked. And that got me going. It was, yeah, I just loved electronics since then and just took off, and I've been a hobbyist ever since, and then eventually went to school for it. So you got your degree in electrical engineering. Yes. Gosh, I got out of high school. I didn't feel like going to college, and I started working, I think, at Radio Shack, because, you know, I was into the electronics there, and I was the guy anyone could ask about parts and things like that. And I had worked there for a number of years, and I had a girlfriend at the time, and she said, you've got to do something else. So I, <laughs> I, took, I took her advice, and I went four years to Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston and got my E in electronic engineering bachelor's. Yeah, your first job out of college, you built lasers. Yeah, it was funny because in my senior year around there, a co-op job would, would be in the summer was at a place called Quest Tech, and they built industrial excimer and CO2 lasers. They were big, 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 heavy-duty machines. They were amazing. You'd uh, Some people were blinded there by some of the reflections of light in the lab. You could take your T-shirts in front of them and broke a hole in one zap right through them. And that was a fun job, you know, working on the electronics and building that stuff. And eventually, I was joined the Pixies in my senior year, and we were just geeking around Boston. So I was doing shows at night with the Pixies all around town. And then they're being in school or my co-op job. And then finally, when I did graduate from college, I worked full-time. And I think I worked there maybe one month at Quest Tech. And then my band, we just released uh, our first album. That took off. And I had to make my decision there. Do I start touring, go with the band, or do I save electronics? And uh, I chose the band over the electronics. So that's where it went from there. Gotcha. Tough choice. <laughs> I'm glad I made it. But I'm still, I'm still involved with electronics, so it still keeps up. So it's still a big, big thing with my life. Do you actually use any of your engineering background while you're, uh, you're touring with the band? Oh, yeah, believe me. Even in the early days, I was the one who fixed all the amplifiers, the microphones, <laughs> fixed all the chords, built effects units units for us to use for guitars and things and vocals. That was it, pretty much. I had my soldering iron with me on the road, and it was, it was pretty easy, so it was nice. <laughs> so one thing that um, David and I share is our love for soldering, and I know that that skill is pretty much essential to your Scientific Phenomenalist show. And so I've had the fortune of seeing that show a couple of times throughout the years, and I'm struck by the amount of gear that goes into that show. Yeah. So all of it's handcrafted by you, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I had to think of all the stuff from my experiments. And, and originally when I began doing this uh, scientific phenomenalism show, I really didn't have a lot of material or effects to use as far as either experiments or magic-related kind of stuff. So I started designing props for my show, and I would use meteorites as well. And the meteorites are what gave me the special powers at the time. And I would place these meteorites on these props, which were big, like really wild contraptions, looking very electronic. And they would, all by remote control, they would buzz, they would light up, alarms would go off, explosions would happen, sequenced fireballs, you name it, all kinds of stuff that looked like chaos was happening. And actually building those, I call them the active flux amplifier, active flux amplifier. <laughs> and building those, I think I learned more about design and building than anything, any of the, the most thought-evoking project that I've ever done. It was just a lot of thought went into it, and I was able to design it and build it. And it worked great for a while. And then as the years went on, I started finding other physics or science experiments to do or other types of effects or other things that I've designed where I eventually got rid of those props where I didn't need them anymore, as well as the meteorites. And it just became... I was doing 
science or physics things where you really didn't know where that line was drawn between if it was really science or magic. You know, that was the kind of thing I was going for. So I'm lucky to have, like, a, finally to get it down to a 20-minute show, and I'm very happy with all the stuff that I have. And one of the inventions, I had the active flux amplifier. Another thing I had was I designed, it's, I'm actually giving it away, but <laughs> I'm able to tell if you were to put an object in your hand behind your back, I can tell what hand the object is in. And that was another circle that I designed. No one else came up with something like that. And it's a nice, very uh, secretive kind of uh, thing, way to do it. But uh, it works very well. And I'm thinking of actually marketing it, too, because it, magicians could use it as well. So that's something that I'm, I'm kind of getting into right now. It's a couple of the inventions that I have that I, that I came up with. Hold the thought about meteorites, because I, I want to talk about your gear for this show. How does uh-huh. it compare to your gear for a pixie show? Way more. <laughs> it's when I'm traveling with the Pixies, I'm playing drums, and it's a lot of stuff. I got the cymbals. I mean, back in the days when I had to schlep all that stuff around, it was I had the pickup and doing all that. Nowadays, I have more gear, like intricate kind of stuff, than I would a drum set. It's almost like I would think it's tenfold the amount of stuff is in my science show compared to a drum set, what that has. And no roadies. And no roadie, yeah. So with my magic and science show, I'm doing it all myself. You know, the Pixies now, I'm afforded the opportunity that it's very nice for me. But uh, when I'm doing my science show, holy jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I should just go up and just be a regular magician with a deck of cards. That'd be a lot easier. <laughs> but, so um, go back to meteorites for me. Tell us um, about your merch tables. Yeah, when I'm usually touring the show, I set up a little uh, merch table at the end of the show. And... I would sell meteorites, bought oh tons of uh, Henbury meteorites from Australia that fell in, I think, the 40s. And the little I know, they're probably about up to mm, five grams each, different weights that I have them. And they would, I would fill out a specimen card with them, with the actual weighting, weighting of them, and I'd bag them all up. I'd sell those as well as the plans on how to build a vortex cannon, which is something else that I would do in my show by shooting smoke rings. Mm-hmm. Then I'd sell, you know, 8 by 10s I'd do autographs, and uh, what else? I'd have T-shirts as well with my little symbol with the uh, nuclear symbol on it. It was pretty pretty much fun. I do magic at the table as well, regular card magic or stuff like that. People hopefully got informed. They walked away with something, and they got to see a little magic. So it was nice. So so this vortex cannon that you mentioned intrigues me, and Elise was also <laughs> mentioning something else, uh, a glowing pickle. I'm wondering if you could expand on those. <laughs> sure. I use my kick drum, one of my Pixies drums. It's a big kick drum. It's about 24 inches, and I cut a hole like they normally do in the front of the head. It's right in the center of the head. And on the back, you can even leave a, leave a drum head on there. It's fine if you leave it nice and flappy, but I usually put a tarp on there, something that has a lot of give. And what I do is I fill it up with smoke, and just by hitting the back, I can shoot smoke rings out, these vortex rings, that will they'll travel up to 100, 150 yards, and they will not lose their circular, you know, their shape. And if air conditioning ducts are overhead and pointed down, they'll actually just cut right through them. They'll go up and down, but they won't lose the shape. And because it's just like an airplane wing, that, that, that vortex that's coming out, it's uh, so it's cutting the air and the pressure on the inside and outside. So it'll just cut through anything. And... I would shoot them out, uh, depending on the venues, they would just go all across the room, and people love fire and smoke, so it was a big hit with that. It was always worked. And usually after the Vortex Cannon, I would go into my glowing pickle routine, where I take a pickle, or a gherkin if you're in the UK, and I put a fork in each end of it, then I put it on a little laboratory stand uh, just out of the way, and then I just plug it into 110 volts with uh, alligator clips on each fork on each end. 
And what will happen is the lights come down, and the pickle will start to fizz and fizz and smoke will blow. Then it eventually turns on like a yellow glow. And what's happening is the sodium in the pickle from the brine is being excited. So it's causing it to glow, just like a, a sodium lamp is going off. And this will sit there and glow, 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 and it's arcing, and it's, it's extremely, extremely dangerous. I mean, if I were to touch it, I would be, it's, it's lethal. And it can go on for about, about a minute because it starts drying out. All the water is just in the, in the brine. It's just going. So eventually I'll pull it off, and then I'll take a bite out of it, you know, just to show, you know, <laughs> medium well the way I want it. And the pickle tastes fine. It really doesn't change the taste of it, but it's another kind of fire, kind of lighting smoke thing that people love. Do you give the audience the uh, leftover pickle? Uh, people do ask for it, believe it or not, yeah. And I, I've given them away. <laughs> it's just something else. And it's pretty drippy and everything. It's kind of like, oh, but uh, yeah, sometimes I'll have the uh, the glad bags, you know, little uh, food bags to put them in and then they give them away. It's easier, a lot, a lot less uh, messy. <laughs> what other experiments do you do in the show? There's one called the light heavy chest. And what it is, I invite someone up from the audience and I have a little box, like a chest, like a fisherman's uh, kind of uh, little chest. And it weighs about seven pounds and I ask the person to hold it. And then I ask them to place it on the ground. And then I have an electronic device. It has an antenna and it beeps and flashes and does all this, you know, weird stuff. And I aim it at them. And supposedly, or actually it does, it, um, it, they lose all their strength, basically. And then I ask them to try to pick it up again. And they can't pick it up. It's impossible to pick up. And then I reach over and I pick it up. Hey, no problem. Why don't you try it again? They can't pick it up. And then I turn it on again, de-zap them, and they're able to pick it up off the ground. And it's a, it's a fun thing. It's an electronic thing that I built, and it's based off of, it was a magician back in the 1850s named Robert Houdin. Actually, Houdini named himself after Robert Houdin. He just added the I and called himself Houdini. But Robert Houdin, which is a French magician, uh, he's known as the father of, of modern magic. And he involved a lot of the same things that I do, being science-related experiments that were, you, know, you didn't know the edge where it was magic or not. And he was actually hired by the French government to go to Algeria when, when the French were at war with Algeria. He went down there with his daughter, and he set up in front of the tribesmen the same experiment using the light and heavy chest that he invented. The daughter, his young daughter, could pick it up, but the Algerian tribesmen could not pick it up. And he also incorporated in the handle a little zapper, like electronic zapper. So they would not only get a jolt, they couldn't pick it up as well. So the Algerian tribesmen, they were just dumbfounded and also thought this guy was powerful, the French were powerful, and that's how the French overtook Algeria, you know, with the help of Robert Houdin. But that's one of the effects I do, and I remember one time I was doing it in London, I was opening up the Pixies, and we have a big barrier in front of the stage, a security barrier, and there was a woman there I saw, and I said, you come on up. When she came outside of the barrier, I didn't realize she was a pretty big woman. And um, <laughs> there is a stress point on my device where I think when you break about 150 pounds of pressure, it will, it will go. She went down there. She couldn't pick it up at first. I, you know, I tried it. I did it to her again. Say, so try it again. Boom, she broke it and pulled it up. And I, it's the first time it ever didn't work. And I'm just like dumbfounded on stage and just said to say, um, ah, here's a winner. Thank you. <laughs> and thanked her and she went back. So that's the light and heavy chest. Another effect I do is I have a pipe, a copper pipe, and I have a stainless steel ball bearing. I give it to a person and they drop it. They hold it horizontally, vertically. They drop the ball bearing through the pipe. I catch it. It only takes, you know, no, half a second to fall through. I go to the other side of the stage, and I aim that device again at them. And it, you know, makes all these sounds and weird things like that. I give them the ball bearing, and then I ask them to do it again. And time has slowed down, or gravity has stopped. And it takes a good six seconds for that ball to fall through. So I, you know, you know, just leisurely, I walk over the other side of the stage. I bend down, and just as I put my hand under it, it falls out, and I catch it. And that's a nice little effect with a copper pipe and a metal a stainless steel ball. 
I also use a hypnotic wheel, which is a kind of synoptical illusion where I tell a story about doing drugs, and then I say, if everyone wants to hear do some drugs, I'll show you. And then I turn it on, everyone stares at it, and then when I stop it, they look at my head, my head just grows bigger and bigger and bigger, and that gets a good laugh, and it works pretty effectively uh, with a large audience. I think another effect is the uh, glass where I take, uh, I fill a glass of water, I put a sheet of paper over it, I turn it over, the paper adheres to it, and the water doesn't fall out. Then I put a device on my head, I turn it on, it starts beeping and flashing, and then I'm able to take the paper off, and the water is suspended upside down on the glass, and I hold it over the audience. And then soon my head starts smoking and fizzing, and I have to run back, and then the water eventually falls out because of the failure of the device on my head. It's a little comedy routine with it, too. But those are pretty much the standout electronic physics or science tricks that I do in the show. Yeah, I'm always reminded of a, a saying by Arthur C. Clarke that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I'm wondering if that sort of philosophy has guided the uh, production of your show. Uh -huh, yeah, well, it's an interesting phrase. Yeah, I mean, blinding that line there where it looks like it's, it's experience you've never seen. They're so out there. I've had people really don't know. They don't know it's a magic show, really. And they're just like, you know, wow, where can I get one of these meteorites? Or where can I do this? You know, something. So that's when I know I've had a good show. It's um, when, I'm, when that, that division is not made. Have you ever been able to cross over from your scientific world to the Pixies world? Um, have you been able to incorporate any of your experiments into the Pixies shows? I want to incorporate the, the Vortex Cannon with my drum. I know that during the show, just filling it, having a little smoke machine in there, those smoke rings would shoot out. But the only thing is, I mean, I think I could get away with it. I don't know how the rest of the members would mm -hmm. think about it, you know, me pulling off this little science thing on it. But uh, maybe maybe one time I might do it. We'll see. <laughs> Next time you're in Chicago. Uh, sure. Okay, Elise. <laughs> there you go. So you're, you're a busy guy. How do you keep up to date with what's going on in the world of science? You know, I read Scientific American, I watch Nova, I watch the Discovery Channel. You know, I just keep up on it, see what's going on, especially in the technology on CNN and stuff like that, or different stuff. And in fact, I visited you in your lab, you know, mm -hmm. University of Chicago, where I saw you doing those wild experiments, so that, that just blows me away on that, that front, too. So, <laughs> it's all good, people you know and see and stuff like that, and just, you know, hopefully keeping abreast of what's going on. Gotcha. So what are you up to these days? I get a little break now between next tour. Mm -hmm. I actually did my show at the Magic Castle about a week ago. Oh, really? Did a weekend there, so that went pretty well. Oh, good. And got nothing for really for the science show lined up right now because we're so busy. I, I leave in another two weeks for another tour. Okay. And another tour after that and another tour after that. So it's kind of a little on hold as far as the science right now. So what about Pixies tours? Where are you going? When can we see you in some form or another? The next tour I'm leaving for New Zealand, Australia, and Japan. Then I come home, and then I'm doing a U.S. tour, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's the Doolittle tour that we're doing in the U.S., and it's all, all the secondary markets, the markets that we haven't done on the original, which was back in November of December of last year. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be all the, you know, Atlanta, Tulsa, the Houston, the Austin, Kansas City, those things like that. Chicago, I, I don't think we're going to be in Chicago for a while. Mm -hmm. But that's the U.S., and then after that, I have a break of maybe, I think, two days, and then I'm off to South America and Central. America. And then when that finishes in about mid-late October, that's it for the year. We're pretty much, you know, we're done with touring for the year. So that'll be a nice welcome break. So, you know, I'm nosy and we're on the topic of the Pixies. So um, I'm going to ask you the standard annoying Pixies question. Can we look forward to a new album anytime soon? As a magician, it's hard for me to answer or give away any uh, secrets like that. There's talk and stuff like that. Things are percolating, but we haven't put anything down in stone yet as far as when we're going to start. I know that we have 2011 pretty much as a, a, an open slate right now, so there might be something in there, but I, I'm just waiting to find all the, the information and stuff like that. So we'll see. 
I, I can't really say for sure right now. Oh, boy. All right, Mr. Lovering, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show and, of course, talking about the, uh, the scientific phenomenalist. Uh, my pleasure, Charles and Thank you for having me. It was great. And you were just listening to David Lovering discussing the scientific phenomenalist. This is the Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000. So stay tuned. game. It's called the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, which electrical circuit part would they be? For the following five individuals, if they were part of an electrical circuit, what part of the circuit would they be and why? Ready to play the game? All right, I'm all set. All right, number one, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Oh, gosh. Think about that electronic circuit. What would he do? I think maybe a capacitor. <laughs> Just in terms of maybe you know, firing people when he when the capacitor has to discharge, he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two. Are you ready? Yeah, all set. Getty Lee. Oh, Getty Lee. Oh, and my <laughs> idol. Oh, gosh. Getty Lee. I can think of just an, an integrated circuit in IC, like a chip, maybe a 16-pin chip or a 14-pin, just because there's so many circuits in there that can do so many things, and he's just, his ability of the bass and singing, the Taurus foot pedals and all that is just beyond belief, uh, all of its functions. So I think an IC would be Getty Lee. All right, uh, person number three, Rube Goldberg. Oh, Rube Goldberg. Oh, mm, that would be a relay. Because a relay in a circuit can control anything, whether it's an on-off state, or double pull, single throw, whatever. The circuit is tri- triggering that relay to do something. So whatever that relay is hitched up, that will do. So, so I think my correlation with Rube Goldberg. Person number four, uh, if she were part of an electrical circuit, uh, Lindsay Lohan. Ah, okay. I can just think of an incandescent bulb, a small bulb. It's going to burn out sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You can see through it. I think it's already dimming very rapidly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so last but not least, Oprah. Oprah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Oprah. Electronic, it has to be a component, so let me think. Could be whatever uh, you want, David. I could maybe just think of an antenna, the last part of the circuit, you know, because... A lot of people listen to her and, you know, listen to her words and stuff like that, and she transmits a lot, so an antenna, I think, would be Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Mr. Lovering, I want to thank you very much for sticking around playing the game, the Grokatron 5000, and, of course, talking about the scientific phenomenalist. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Charles and Lisa. Let us know when you're touring again with the scientific phenomenalist. I will keep you posted. Absolutely. All right. Everyone have a great one. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.